Hello everyone and welcome back. I am so glad you're back on the podcast. And today is a little bit of a special episode because I can talk with Chris Hadnagi, that is uh, one of, if you want, uh, reference figures on uh, social engineering. And he is so extremely kind and humble that it's a pleasure to speak with him. He also is involved in the Innocent Life Foundation. If you haven't checked it out, they do amazing work and super important work to protect kids from predators. So please go and check it out and donate if you can. Uh, it's a super important cause and um, it's so tough on people that work in there. So if you can support them. But um, I wish you enjoy and uh, we're going to see and hear the milestone of effectively social engineering. How I was born from one of the best that started in this field. Everybody, please enjoy Chris Hadnagi on the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast. Today, we have a long-expected restart of the Social Engineer series with an amazing guest that has been bouncing in and out of UK with some of the of, <laughs> of our previous guests and uh, some of our friends, uh, Chani. And uh, I, I hear you, you spend more time on podcasting in UK than anybody, anywhere else. <laughs> <laughs> but I really appreciate you coming to the community and our community is super, is super it will be super uh, grateful for you coming here. And I am a little bit nervous because I, I know how big you are and I know how, how many things you've done. So I apologize, sometime I, sh- I started. But uh, let me introduce you properly, Chris. Uh, Chris is the chief human hacker, Chris Hatnagi. Hat- <laughs> Good, that's perfect, it. actually. Fantastic. <laughs> and chief human hacker of uh, socialengineer.com. And he's also ex-penetration tester, is a social engineer. Uh, as anybody knows, uh, he also lead the Social Engineer Village competition. He is a big initiator and sponsor of the Innocent Life Foundation that we're going to talk everything about it because it's such a great thing. Ted Toka, uh, sponsor of the Social Engineer Conference, you name it. Chris, you are massive. You are <laughs> you're doing so many things and so Thank many you. things for the community. So. But maybe you want to give a little bit of history about yourself, a little bit of introduction, and I'm going to shut up. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you covered it all. You know, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, I got started in this by pen testing and then moved on to social engineering and wrote some books. And I have another book coming out in January. And I don't know, social engineering is, uh, I, wish, I wish I could say I was a genius, but I kind of just did it and it worked out right? <laughs> At 10 years or 12 years ago, nobody was talking about it. And uh, when I started this, it was brand new. And now it's something everyone's talking about. So I'm excited to be able to use social engineering, both in security, but also with the ILF and also just with everyday life, being able to use social engineering um, just in everyday life with communications has really been beneficial for me too. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk about it. No, it's it's amazing, and and it's amazing the stuff that you do with the Innocent Life Foundation, and the fact that it's known for profit, and the fact that it protect children. But maybe you want to give a little bit of the audience because I, I don't think it's so well uh, discussed about. So I want I want everybody to contribute and to give back to the community if they can. Yeah, so uh, it was maybe going back five or six years. I was doing a pen test for an organization. And during the pen test, we found a guy in the organization that was using his work computer to trade child pornography. Mm. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever been encountered in something like that. And I, I, uh, I you know, was, we were thinking what to do. We talked to the director of the place. Uh, we ended up working with the government to get this guy trapped and arrested. And he's, he's in prison now. 
And that felt really good. I mean, you know, not good at what he was doing, but it felt really good that uh, our skills, which was just pen testing, I didn't think, you know, anything more than we're just hackers. And now this guy's in prison and he's not hurting kids anymore. Uh, And I was telling some people this story and I was like, just talking about, wow, I never thought I'd ever do anything that cool with my, with my career. And uh, a guy in a class I was talking to had come up and he said, Hey, I work with a group that helps um, hunt people who traffic little girls into America. You know, do you want to help us? And I said, that would be great. So I did. And I worked with them on a few cases and we ended up getting some people arrested that were hurting little kids from bringing them in from Asia to America. Um, and that felt really good. So it just, it was a couple times where I said, man, maybe there's more people like me in my community that want to use their skills. So I started talking to people and asking people like, if I started something, would you do this? Would you help? And I couldn't get over the response. It was everyone like saying, yes, of course. Yes. And I didn't, you know, people always say yes to things, but then when it comes time to actually do it. So I said, okay, well, we got a lot of people saying yes, maybe a few. So I launched it three years ago uh, at DEF CON, believe it or not, mm-hmm. I made the announcement at DEF CON. And the response has been unbelievable. I mean, this year we closed uh, 146 cases so far. Amazing. Um, we have 50 volunteers, four full-time employees, uh, and we're a nonprofit. You know, we're, we're, we're run by donations from people. So it's, it's unbelievable. It really is. And we're working with law enforcement around the globe to stop people who are hurting kids and profiting from child abuse images and child trafficking. So uh, it, it feels good to be able to use our hacker skills and to help stop this kind of a crime. And it's been a really, really cool venture so far. No, it's, it's amazing. And I'm, I'm, sometimes we think that we're so far away from reality being in, in information security, but yeah. even with small action like this, that this is not a small action, it's a massive action we can save lives or we can change somebody else's life. And when I heard about it, I was just blown away. It's like amazing. But then on, on the people that work on the Innocent Life Foundation, how hard was you, for example, on the first time you found something like that? What do you do? How did you fail? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, when I started this, um, because I had some experience from my job, I remember when we found this guy that was, trading in child pornography. Um, the first time you see something like that, you don't, you know, your brain, like a normal brain, a person who's not a, who's not perverted. Yeah. You see these things and you don't understand what to do with it. Your brain doesn't know what to do with it because nobody that's normal looks at a child and thinks anything sexual, you know, they, the child is a child, you know? So you feel shock. You feel a little bit of like PTSD almost. It was, it was a lot to get over. And unfortunately I, you know, I'm, I'm open about this. I don't feel ashamed that, you know, I see a therapist and uh, she was able to help me kind of talk about it and work mm-hmm. through it and things like that. And that was really helpful. So when I was planning on starting the ILF, I had a conversation with a group called NICMIC. They're the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. And uh, they work with law enforcement. They're huge. They've been around since the 70s. They work with um, law enforcement and they they actually database all child pornography that's reported. They hash it. And then they help law enforcement track where it goes and things like that. So I, I called them and I asked if I can speak with their, you know, their main people to, mm-hmm. to talk about my, my idea. And they gave me some great tips. So, you know, from the beginning, one of the first people we hired was a therapist to make sure that all of our staff has monthly therapy appointments so they can talk about this to someone who understands. Uh, we built proprietary tools. So we have a tool that blurs images and videos. So our researchers don't have to see horrific Mm. things. Um, We built uh, VDIs, so virtual desktops that allow them to do the work in a safe environment so it's not on their machines. So we've done things that are um, ahead of time where we built the organization around an idea of keeping our people safe. You know, the concept is if if I go out and I uh, save three kids, but I hurt my family in doing it, it's not worth it. It's not a trade-off. So I need to be able to do this work while also keeping my family safe, both, you know, protecting them, being with them mentally, all that. So um, our, the organization was formed with that in mind, with the idea that it was important for us to keep everybody safe involved. So 
that's what we're, uh, that, that's how we formed it. You know, it was a lot of work up front and I didn't know where it was going to go. Our first year we closed nine cases and I thought that was amazing. My mind was blown. I was like nine cases. That's a oh lot of gosh. cases. There's a lot of people yeah. saved and it, a lot of is. future ch child saved. It is. But then this year we're up to 146 already. Amazing. And it's only September. So it's, uh, you know. And have you seen an increase in the activity yeah. or has been? Yeah, sadly we have because of COVID. Hmm. So, you know, not only are all of us working from home, but all of the predators are working from home. So they're, you know, they're at home consuming more child pornography, which ups the demand, right? So the demand is up. So the supply goes up, mm -hmm. which means we see more abuse of children. And it's, uh, That's it's terrible. terrible. I mean, yeah, it's really horrific. But then on the flip side, you can catch them. You can catch them because they're more prolific and more active maybe yeah. now. And maybe they don't get access to children we we hey every person that goes to jail for doing this is one less person that's out in the wild hurting hurting kids i mean the scary statistic is that a serial predator could molest up to up to 400 kids so when we put one of them away that's maybe 400 children that that get saved you know now that that's amazing that's makes my gives me goosebumps as yes. like it's amazing what you guys do thank you and it's 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 such a hard thing on people and i, I really appreciate that you created a safe environment to actually do this and i really appreciate the fact that you think about it's not just a hero that goes there and just burn himself down uh, trying yeah. to save children but you actually said how can you do that continuously and in a proper and safe environment so that you can last is, is like a marathon it's not like a sprint and then you get yeah. burned out yeah it's important no. for us because we're not we're not hacktivists right so although we were hackers at heart um if i go and hack a child porn server and just embarrass all those guys they just go somewhere else mm -hmm. so the end goal is that these people have to get arrested so that means we have to do everything legal everything safe we have to do everything above board Otherwise, if I hand off a, a file to a law enforcement agent and they see that I did something illegal to, to get that file, they can't use that information. So that, then that person doesn't go to jail and those kids get hurt. So we, the, the process of how we thought through it really had to be handled differently than a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, let's say hacker groups that we see out there because we wanted to make sure that, that not only it's were usable. we- Yeah, it's usable. Yeah, that's it. That, that at the end of the day, everything we do had to be able to be usable to an effect and arrest. No, and that's that's great. But then did that create effectively a framework that then uh, you can then replicate on other things? Because as you rightfully mentioned, you have hacktivism that go there and uh, smash it just for the sake of making a point or making a message or damaging organization that they don't agree on. But then organization just goes around it and they mm. keep on doing what they do. Instead, if you want to do a case, if you want to build a case, you need to work with the police and give them something that is traceable, something evidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, Anonymous took out a child porn server and we all cheered. It was great, mm -hmm. but nothing happened. Those guys just moved to another server. You know, it doesn't, unless they go to prison. I think they exposed a few happens. names. I, I they think did. They, they exposed a few names, but those names, if they're overseas or in foreign countries or not it's difficult to enforce. To, yeah, it's difficult to enforce. So that's why you have to work with law enforcement because I, I'm a citizen, so I can't go arrest somebody. Mm -hmm. So if I find out my next door neighbor is a child abuser, I can't do anything. No, you're so not if a I vigilante. go over there and I beat him up, then what? That he, I get arrested, right? <laughs> then I go to prison and now my children don't have a dad because I beat up a child abuser. So it, it's, not, it's not a fair trade, right? Yeah. He, he doesn't go to prison and I do. So that's why we have to handle it all the right way. Otherwise, we get hurt, our families get hurt, and the bad guys go, you know, get off of it. So we need to make sure that we do it 100% right. So we, we do the, the end result is what we want. And I appreciate that you create that framework and that safe place because you can get really angry. And as you said, yes. you, can, you can get the mob effect of like, I want immediate revenge. And that actually yeah. is decremental on, on building up a case and decremental against you. Yeah. And, and we do, and you still get angry, you know? I mean, man, I, I, you know, when you're doing this, the idea of like a Batman is great, you know? Some guy who could just live above the law and go around and, you know, beat these guys senseless and stuff like that. That sounds <laughs> awesome. I mean, you know, 
but we, we're the, not giving any any inspiration to any no 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 definitely not <laughs> you know but if someone wants to do that no just saying but you know at the end of the day though it doesn't it's not reality that's a comic book and it's yes. not reality in the real world we we you know we can't do that even if you do it once or twice it doesn't fix the problem mm -hmm. we need to interrupt the places where the supply comes in you know so we need to take out the people who are running the web servers and take out the people who are filming these things and trading children yeah, and stopping when you the... that yeah then you stop it right you stop that and then it goes away as opposed to beating up one guy yeah it doesn't do anything yeah it's, it's a smart work instead of just one revenge that then it's just a drop in the ocean yeah no, i i really appreciate the work and the thought that you put in there it's it's amazing switching maybe on on a, on a different subject you created that framework can that framework we apply to uh if you want more reporting of vulnerabilities and stuff like that, because it, it's something close to my heart because we, we've seen of late people overreacting over one report over the other. Uh, it, it was a case in the UK where an application got reported over vulnerability and they took it really the wrong way and they started attacking the researcher. And I think that's not uncommon in our world where a researcher say, hey, you have a vulnerability, and the answer is, well, go away. <laughs> I have a security yeah. team. <laughs> and that's yeah, sad. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think the ILF framework works for that, because I'm with you on this. The, you know, the, the, here, here's the hard part. Smart companies do bug bounties. Mm -hmm. Smart companies do them, because a and smart company, yeah, they're doing a bug bounty. Now, everyone's out there you know, breaking their stuff for free for the hope to get a little money, mm -hmm. right? And that company is also saying, hey, we'll take all the bugs that you find and we'll fix them. Yeah. So a company that does that to me says, wow, we're, we're smart. We, we're handling this right. Now, companies that, that don't handle it right are the companies where you go to them with a vulnerability and they either embarrass the researcher or they say it's a feature, not a bug. <laughs> um, you know, we, <laughs> those things are ridiculous, right? And, and, and then what does responsible disclosure do? In the case you're talking about, that young man, you know, had his life disrupted for months. Yeah. Um, why? You know, because he did something good. So it 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 discredits um, it 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 devalues the idea of responsible disclosure. For those of us that find vulnerabilities, if there's not a bug bounty program, I don't know. I would think twice before I respond. You know, I might anonymously disclose if there wasn't a a, a bug bounty, but you're probably not going to see them fix it. No, and, and if you disclose anonymously, there will be somebody maliciously that say, oh, nice, I'll take that vulnerability right. and I'll exploit it. Yeah, I mean, we found a vulnerability in a popular solar SCADA system years and years ago. I reported it to the company, uh, gave them uh, detailed notes on how to fix it. And this is going on five years ago and it's still there. Oh, Jesus. And you SCADA know? is not, I mean... <laughs> yeah, and it's not, it's not a small thing. And it's... Uh, I, you know, there's, I don't know what else to do about it. You can't, you know, you, you wait. And then I keep all those notes and those emails. And if someday I see some business or country get hacked because of it, then I'll, I'll go you public and it. say, look, I told them this five, six years ago, because then they need to be held responsible, you know? Uh, and that's the thing that I think there's not enough of when it comes to vulnerabilities is there's no real regulations that enforce punishment for companies that willingly allow vulnerabilities to exist or when they are effectively notified they don't act on it yeah it's different if you don't know right we all have yeah. a vulnerability maybe if i don't know if i if i forgot to to lock Check my back code. door you know and and it, and it was wide open and someone came in and hurt my family and stole my stuff it's not my fault mm -hmm. but if i if i if i leave it open wide open at night in a crime-ridden area well how can I not take blame if somebody have something happens to my family? Yeah. It's my fault, you know? And with GDPR, I think that's a step forward towards mm. that uh, responsible disclosure, but you don't have the same on vulnerabilities because they can potentially or potentially not impact, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But then how, so do you see this applicable or do you see research applying social engineering at scale as a bug bounty or is just trying to research? <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great question. But here's the issue. Um, human vulnerability hasn't changed. Mm -hmm. So I can't see it as a bug bounty. What, 
human vulnerability hasn't changed for the thousands of years that we've been seeing scams against humans. What changes is the method of delivery. Mm. So think about it, phishing, right? Phishing is one of our biggest threats. Before there was email, phishing was taking place with the written letter. Before there was the written letter, it was on papyrus with delivery men. You know, before that, it was there, there was phishing forever, always yes. phishing. You know, the the the, uh, the Nigerian know. prince actually actually wrote hand letters. Yes, right. He probably <laughs> did. He probably did. You know, I mean that it's it, you can go back throughout human history, written human history, and you can find examples of people doing impersonation, people hacking other people using these skills. So. If I were to report Selling snake about, oil. Here you right, go. <laughs> there it is, right? I mean, back in the early or late 1700s, early 1800s in this country, there was a money producing machine, you know, and what they did is they had a box and you put a piece of paper in it and you roll this thing, you roll this thing and out the bottom comes a dollar bill. And what they had was this machine that just had a dollar bill inside of it. And, you know, they put the paper in and they roll it and the paper goes to the bottom and after a few rolls the dollar comes out people thought this is a money wow. producing box <laughs> and they were selling it for five bucks ten bucks they'd go through these towns selling these boxes suckers would buy them and then you know the guy it's lost your money's lost it's gone you know it's it's a, it's a scam it's no different today than saying hey i i'm a i'm a, a christian widow in africa and i have 40 million dollars i want to share with you just help me with these fees and I'll share this. It's the same scam. It's just different delivery method. Yeah. So reporting it wouldn't, there's no, the reason why it's not good for a bug bounty is there's no way to fix it. Education mm -hmm. is the only thing that makes humans less vulnerable. So when you know that an attack exists, then you can put, you could potentially fix that attack. But if you can't, if you can't fix it, if you can't train the human, yeah, then there's just no, there's not a blinky box, right? I can't put a little box in the network that makes you not vulnerable to phishing. <laughs> you right? can't remediate I, the phishing. You can't, and you can't stop phishing. You can't, there's no box right now that stops phone calls from coming in. And there's no way I can teach grandma not to fall for the malicious guy knocking on the door 100%. All you can do is educate and say, yeah. hey, here are the current scams. Here's what's happening in the world today and hope that enough people listen to it that they go, oh, I'm not going to fall for that. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor, and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important focusing on your clients, and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on-premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. Let me challenge you with a question. If we raise the bar... The attacker will raise the bar. Is yeah. are, are we not chasing the flag? So yeah, because we're making it more aware, then more people will actually say, that's a really clever idea. I'm going to use it. And so th that's always a catch 22. Think of yeah. this. When, when the first guy who built an automobile, he wasn't thinking of hit and runs, right? He yeah. was thinking <laughs> of a way to replace horse transportation. Right. And now you have people who make, you know, giant SUVs and supercars and none of them build it and go, this will be the perfect car for a murder. <laughs> they, they, you know, they build it. Right. So we build. I don't think it would be good to advertise. It's not a great <laughs> advertiser. Right? And that's what happens with social engineering. We have methods of communication. We have methods of dealing with each other, methods of influencing each other. When we develop them or study them, we're not looking at it as here's a great way to hack another person. It just happens, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and then the bad guys go, oh, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use it. And we can't, we, you know, we can't, we can't go through life saying, well, we can't educate because, well, it, so here's the, here's the reality. Our industry is reactive, not proactive. <laughs> if you and I right now can find a proactive approach to social engineering, we would, we would both be billionaires. We can Removing do this the podcast. Human. <laughs> yeah, and that, that won't work. 
that yes. won't work, right? Because, because you need this. human to remove the human. <laughs> That's right. And not only that, but if let's say we were successful at removing the human, uh, society falls apart mm-hmm. because un- unemployment and debt and money, right? So it's but they're all uh, human concept, though. The the what? They're all human concept. Work, that, money. Agree. So we're removing humans would mean if you kill the population and have the earth <laughs> run by robots. That that plan doesn't sound good to me. I don't like that plan. You know, <laughs> but actually, it will still be vulnerable because robot will be built by human with human flaws. I was I was talking with Chris about uh, artificial intelligence and uh, human engineering, and you still put the same bias in the model. So in a way or another, even if we build the perfect robot, it will be still a human robot. <laughs> Right? I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I, that, <laughs> now we're in science fiction, and I'm not sure if this is uh, reality-based, right? So. <laughs> I, I love to take something to an extreme sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but back to the reality, back to, back to the real world. Have you seen in, in the recent year, since we're all sheltered, an increase or a decrease in fishing, fishing, and all the other methods of social engineering? Yeah. So the, the, right now, fishing has always been in the high, right? And mm-hmm. it's still a high, but fishing has taken its, the second place and it's no longer a huge gap. It's very close, especially since COVID, fishing uh, attacks have gone through the roof. Uh, and then believe it or not, smishing is making a comeback. Now, it used to be like we only saw smishing when banks got breached or healthcare organizations got breached. But now that COVID's here, uh, people are working from home. They're working from their cell phones. They're constantly on mobile devices. And what we're seeing uh, with all of that is is uh, an increase in SMS-based attacks. Mm-hmm. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a little, a little nerve-wracking to see that, you know. And, and impersonation, although it might not be 100% picked up now, when we get back to going to the offices, I mean, most of us are still working from home and not traveling. But when we get back to that, I think we're going to see an increase because, we're going to not be used to seeing our workmates. So how we're going to know if you belong or not. So is social engineering we'll actually rooted on the fact that we change the perception of reality? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Every time uh, we change a communication method. So let's go through just the last hundred years of history. Mm-hmm. We used to only uh, spread messages through uh, you know, oral tradition. So speaking, then we started like writing letters and, there were scams and letters. Then when the telephone came about, there's now scams and telephone. Then we invented email and there's scams and email. You know, then we invented SMS and now there's scams and SMS. It's just yeah, a channel. It, it's just a channel. Like I said, the, the, the social engineering hasn't changed in, in millennium of human history. It is the method of delivery that has changed and that's it. Mm. That is the only thing that we've changed is the method of delivery. But then on the method of delivery, actually is a very interesting point because when is the switch between not trusting a method? When something is new, you naturally don't trust it. When do you switch that mindset? Email, I receive an email, I will not yeah. trust that. And then everybody's using emails, I'm going to immediately trust that as a method of communication. You know, that's a good question. Uh, I don't know if there's a clear cut answer to that. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if there's a clear answer to that question because when do you try? I don't know when you, I don't know what the, the, the methodology would be to say when something is trustworthy, because let's say when email first came out, it wasn't mm-hmm. automatically used for scams. It was probably at its safest when yeah. it first came out. And then it was only, you know, a few years later where people went, wait, I can use this channel across the globe and I can use this channel. You know, I, I, I can, and I'm young and I can remember in my lifetime where we didn't see scams related to natural disasters. True. And in the last 10 years, whenever there's a natural disaster, a tsunami, an earthquake, a hurricane, a tornado, planes hitting towers, whatever it is, there is now a scam related to that. You know, there was a time like when scams were saved and not that this makes it better. It doesn't. But scams were saved for the rich or (laughs) saved for those who might not be as um, socially inept or socially, you know, talented. And, and now what we see is that scams are across the board. They don't care who you are. They don't care if you're poor. They don't care if you're dying of cancer. They don't care if you have kids. They don't care if this is your last dollar in the bank. It's just about doing it. But you mentioned it. Probably the, the reason why scam is becoming more pervasive is because attacking a bank physically and trying to steal something from the bank is so complicated. So the, 
I mean, organization and cr criminal organization, our organization, are fully structured as an organization. They yeah. want to make money. So it's economy of scale. As we have a multi-billion dollar that try to scale up, I think even criminal organization is trying to reinvent and scale up and trying to do that. Well, they have to. Yeah. Right? So the, the, uh, the, when we look at, like, let's say, vishing. Mm -hmm. So when, when they realized, when scammers realized how much money was in vishing, um, you know, let's think about this, um, uh, that kid, 17-year-old kid who hacked Twitter. Mm -hmm. He stole $3 million in Bitcoin in 24 hours. That's amazing, right? That's not um, a huge number for that vulnerability, though. It's not, not, not for that organization, but for one yeah. guy that make $3 million, that's, that's a big number. I'm okay yeah. with that, right? I'd like to make $3 million in a, in a 24-hour period, you know? Um, <laughs> and illegally. not get arrested. <laughs> yeah, legally, right? A, a group of scammers vished Toyota, and they transferred $34 million with two phone calls. Mm -hmm. Two phone calls, $34 million. Great so, ROI. <laughs> Return yeah, on investment. And, that, and that's the point, right? Is that when scammers look at this and go, holy crap, I can make two or three or five phone calls and I can make $30 million. Mm -hmm. Why would you not use it if you were a criminal? The risk of getting caught is very low and the potential payout is very high. So of course you're going to use it. I would, if I was a criminal, if I was a criminal, I would use it because it's, it, it's, it's too that's too successful. Mm. No, I, yeah. I, I agree. But then can we use, uh, so everybody is, is now uh, shouting at uh, machine learning and everything, and I don't want to run to the mm. use of AI, but there is a lot of stuff around sentiment when you listen to a call and you listen to the perception. Can we use a little bit more of that for detecting more nefarious? I was talking with Joe about this and it was an interesting concept of how we can create pattern of attack of the things that a scammer say to lower your perception of risk and stuff like that. And probably you're more best suited of what is the common trend and the common action that somebody use? What is yeah. the pattern is that somebody not. use? So the, the, again, the challenge comes in, in this is we, we're working with a company now that's working with the government trying to build AI to trap vishers. Mm-hmm. So our job, we got hired, is to see if we can break the AI. So <laughs> That's amazing. You know, they have this whole script that AI listens to the phone call. And one of the triggers is, you know, this bank says, I'll never ask for your password on the phone. So one of the triggers is that the word password comes up, you know, flag it as a, as a vishing call. Mm -hmm. So when I'm making believe I'm the visher, I just go, Oh, oh, Francesco. So yeah, this is Paul from IT. Yeah, I, I need your pass <coughs> word. <laughs> and now AI doesn't know that pass <coughs> word is password because it sees it as two separate words. That's, right? that's a great example. That's and, a great example. So we need, so for AI to work, there really does need to be a learning engine. Continuous where, learning. Yeah, continuously learning where pauses, sneezes, accents will be applied to that engine. And it says, you know, anytime this word is, is broken up or it exists or whatever, this can be flagged as a potential mm -hmm. negative call. It, there's just, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot there because sometimes uh, vishing calls, they don't go for the password. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, what we do for vishing calls when we do this for, for our, our work is we'll call a company and we'll just get information that we'll use in another vishing call. So, so spread I'll it over just, time. Yeah, just call up and just be like, listen, I'm calling from HR because you're working from home now. I just need to verify the spelling of your last name. I have a C-O-P-O-L-L-O-N-E. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, it's C-I-P. Oh, thank God. Thank God I got that right. Okay. Now I have your name. And if I know that your, your bank does, you know, first name dot last name at bank.com. Well, now I have your email address, yeah. right? So now I can fish you. And that call is not going to get flagged by any AI because it's not. A vishing. It, it, it's just information. I, I, yeah, that's right. And I, I didn't say anything negative. I didn't try to steal from you. So we see this often when it comes to attacks is that the nature of the attack is, uh, is not software fixable. Mm. And that, that becomes a problem. That's scary. But yeah. and you can't even detect the pattern because it's so random and varies all the time. Yeah. 
But and so hopefully, I mean, you know, we'll see. They're making great strides with AI. They really are. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Maybe at, we're thinking you know. it in the wrong way with patents, where we don't need to look at patents. We need to look at sentiment or things that specific trigger instead of words and specific well sequence of things. Like I'm thinking that as an IPS, if you if you do a sequence of things even in a lapse of time, you can potentially triggers. But it's it's such a complicated thing. And that's possible. Thing. That's complicated. You see, so you think about this like I, I don't know how it is in the UK, but here in America, you know, TSA security theater, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. But the way that they're trained is they look at someone entering the line, and let's say you look angry and you are a bigger guy uh so they say okay this guy's angry and he's a threat so we're going to separate him and do a special you know we're going to say sure you know can you come through this line and they're going to separate you in case you get violent but what about if you were angry because you just had an argument with your wife or what if you were angry because you're late for your flight and you got a flat tire on the way to the airport you're not angry because you're going to blow the plane up you're not angry because you hate everyone who's american you're not angry because you want to kill everyone in the airport you're angry you just for, had a bad day you had a bad day but now the human reading that is saying well you're angry so you're a threat and that's the issue with categorizing is that sometimes people have legitimate reasons so you call your phone support person and you're mad because they messed up your bill you know, and you're angry. So you're calling and you're angry, you know, and rightfully, and you can't find your password. Your phone's not working. Your password manager, you can't get into it. So you're like, I don't remember my dang password. Just help me out. And now according to AI, that would be, Ooh, he's the threat. He's, Mm -hmm. He's trying to hack this account, you know, but there's a legitimate reason for it. So there has to be more to the solution, you know? And, and what we found works the best is when you, um, you limit the ability for the human agent to make a mistake without the proper steps ahead of it. So for example, if you are calling into your phone company Mm -hmm. and you are legitimately angry and you don't have your password, then the agent on the phone should not be able to help you. Technologically, they shouldn't be able to help you. There should be no bypass. So it's like, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Francesco, I'd love to be able to help you with this. I really would. But here's the problem. Unless you can answer this security question, I, I can't even get past this on the screen. So now I really want to help you. I really, truly do want to help you, but I can't. So you empathize with the other person yeah. and you level up. So I can be the nicest person on the planet. Yeah, I really do want to help you. Please, I'm so sorry you're so upset. And I would love to, I, look, I can't even bypass this. I'm trying and you can hear me hitting it. I'm trying, but I can't even bypass it and because I need the answer to this or we'll get locked out. But that's you know? an amazing thing if you're not customer obsessed. If your obsession is to remove every barrier for the customer to actually do that purchase, and that's not just one company, but I probably mentioned half of US company. Yeah, yeah. And the rest of the world, probably, because they're trying to remove their friction is yeah. where you draw the line. Well, so there's always been a battle between, you know, how to make money and how to be secure. Hmm. And this is the same battle we see with software companies. Software yeah. companies want to put their software out fast to keep ahead of the market so they don't do secure coding practices. And then the vulnerability gets passed down the line and we suffer as the consumer. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with the companies, the way they do it. They need... They need people to man the phone so they can make sales. So they don't do training. They don't have that set until they're hacked. And then all of a sudden now everybody wants it now. But that, that's patched. You know, that's, that's reactive yeah. as you just rightfully yes. say is remediation to see, yeah. well, you know, I, I, you caught me with the door open and I'm going to fix the door. And maybe in five days, the door's going to be swinging open. Yeah. But actually, on that subject, do you have a story where you caught somebody red-handed after you told, I told you so? Is, is there any story where you said, I told you so, where they haven't actually pulled remediation or they could have and they mm-hmm. haven't applied? You know, we, we were doing a pen test once. This is a long time ago now. It was an actual network pen test. And we were on site. We were also doing some on-site physical stuff. And we found it late at night, we're doing this an internal scan. And we found that there was this one IP address and it was, I mean, downloading tons of stuff. And all the IP addresses were to porn sites. Okay. They were all <laughs> pornography. And the company had a very strict rule, you know, no pornography at work. 
which we understand. I mean, it's full of viruses. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, I, mean, I don't even know why you'd want to look at pornography at work. It's terrible. Like, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but anyway, this guy was downloading it. Now, what we found out, he was a security guard that would come in late night shift, really bored. He would bring a hard drive from home. He would use the really fast internet connection to download all this porn to this hard drive and then bring it home the next day, right? And of course, what a huge threat that is to the company. You're bringing an external device. You're plugging it into a computer at work. So being a nice guy, I didn't want to get him in trouble. So I thought, let me just go talk to him. So I you know, got his extension. I phoned him up. I said, hey, you, know, you don't know me. I'm doing what's called a pen test. And we found on your network, you know, the network that you're downloading all this porn. Now, listen, I don't want to have to report you. So you need to stop. Like, just stop. And I thought, man, it's over. This guy's going to appreciate me. I did the right thing. Next morning, I get an email from the point of contact at the company. And he's like, we need to talk. And I'm like, crap, what did I do? You know? So I get on the phone and he's like, listen, Chris, we hired you because we thought you were, you were the best. And what you did last night is unacceptable. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, and I'm thinking, what, what, like, what are you talking about? And I'm thinking, man, like I, maybe I should have reported them. I don't know. Like I'm in my head. I'm thinking you went to all the scenarios, all all, every scenario. (laughs) And I'm like, okay. I said, uh, said, Hey Jim, you know, before we get too far, can you just tell me what is it that you're saying I did? And he said, well, you tried, to, you tried to convince the security guard to help you with the pen test. <laughs> and I went, what? That's sneaky what the, bugger. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? And he said, yeah, yeah. He told us that you called him last night and asked for his help to, to get access to servers because you weren't succeeding. And I'm like, whoa. I said, well, fortunately for us, we record every phone call. And I have all the email threads and I sent it to him and I showed him and he called me back and he's like, I am so sorry. He goes, this guy lied right to our face. And I'm like, I don't even understand why he would do it. He was trying to social engineer. (laughs) I gave him like a, like a, like a helping on a platter and he like turned around and bit me, you know? Uh, So they fired him. And, uh, and, and then I got yelled at legitimately. And I, this is a lesson. This is why I'm saying this story. I learned a lesson is, um, the, the, the point of contact said, listen, we paid you a considerable money to keep us safe. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know our, our rules are no pornography at work. And if he had complied, then you would have not reported what he was doing. And that is, he, he said to me, he didn't pay you, we paid you. Mm. We're your client, he's not. And I took that, I was young at the time, younger, new in the field. And I took that as a serious lesson because I'm like, you know, he's right. Is that this company paid me a considerable money to be their security advocate. And I tried to bypass it because I was being empathetic to a person. You social engineered yourself. I did. And that person was being a risk to the whole company. He was bringing an external device laden with pornography, which is probably full of rats and Trojans Mm -hmm. and viruses to a corporate network, plugging it into a computer and then connecting to the internet and downloading more of that. It, It like, I, I sat and I said to him, I am really sorry. You're hundred percent right. It'll never happen again. And that was my lesson. I never did it again. Now, if I find something with a company, we report it. We report it because that's what they're paying us to do. They're paying us to keep them secure. But so, then for everybody, you, you rightfully say you started on this. It, it, you were young. What will be the suggestion you give to people that are jumping in social engineering because right now it's super cool and they might not have the experience on how to handle things like this or they might get burned and once you get burned in this field even publicly you're done right yeah that's a great question so you know there's risk that you have to decide what you want so i know a lot of people want to go and start their own company and maybe that's the right path Mm -hmm. Uh, so what i tell people and i've told everyone who's come to me and said i want to start a company you know would you be upset i'm like of course not i mean competition is the nature of the world right but get training, get training first, you know, and I don't mean college training, business. you know, yeah, get, get business training and get training in social engineering and read some books and listen to podcasts and write some articles and go to speeches, learn from the people who have been doing this for decades and their mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm open about my mistakes, learn from that. So you don't duplicate it. And then when you start your business, you'll be light years ahead of all the people who just jump in head first and, and make mistakes. Cause you're right. If you make a major mistake in this industry and it goes public, uh, you're hurting your chances of growth ever. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a stain that remains. Gonna, yeah. It's going to be really hard to grow after that. So I always tell people don't, you know, be, be cautious with how you do it. And then 
do you see any do you give suggestion to people it's like you particularly shining especially during the sc competition uh, tell me tell me some some nice story quickly on on few crazy things that happen I, I i listened to your podcast and and i heard few crazy stories yeah. about sc tell me more you you run in the events and yes yeah, you know we every year since we started this the the the, uh, the quality of the competitors have gotten better and better and I've seen some, you know, crazy things happen at the, at the SE village with the SECTF. And um, I've offered people jobs on the spot. You know, they come out of the booth and I'm like, I want to talk to you about working. You know? um, That's a great just, way to recruit. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, just watching them on the phone and being like, you need to be in this industry. Uh, so I do, I spend time with people uh, afterwards to tell them, here's what you can do to improve. Here's how you could be better. And we try our hardest to keep the rule set. Um, so that when they're competing, they learn that motto we have, which is leave them feeling better for having met you. Mm. So you can be a social engineer and you don't need to be malicious or evil or you don't need to be hurtful. You can mm -hmm. do this job and still leave people smiling at the end of the day. The bad guys don't do that. No. But, you know, we're supposed to be different than the bad guys. You know, my goal has got to be I know that I'm doing this for a living, but I also need to keep my clients happy and I need to. I need to be good about it, you know? So uh, that means that involves me having to think through my pretext more and not always go with whatever's the easiest because the easiest is, is always the thing that is um, hurtful. Yeah. And that's the truth because it's easy to threaten you. It's easy to say you're going to get fired. It's easy to use scare COVID. you to death. Yeah. Use, use COVID, COVID right and now. make people fear for their life. And everyone will click that. I'll mm -hmm. click that. It's not, it, there's no, you know, safeguards, but then what's the lesson? You get so an I enemy. I do that to you. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, so I have an enemy now. And how do I educate you? Don't be fearful of a world pandemic. That's silly. <laughs> so are, are you, the end result for a professional has to not be that I win. It has to be that I can train you. And if my thought process is what can I do so I can train you when I'm done, now I'm going to think of pretexts that are better. And it doesn't mean there's never a time or place for the hardcore ones. You can use them, but after you train people for a while, after yeah. they've proven to be good, now you can come in, right? I mean, you wouldn't put someone in a boxing ring with a golden gloves champion the first day they start boxing. You wouldn't no, it's do an it. Overkill. <laughs> it's overkill, it's overkill right? <laughs> so don't, don't, don't take the hardest pretext I can think of and send it to the person the first time you're fishing them. Work it up work up until they're really, really strong. And now you can fish them hard, you know, but until then start off small. And as you just said, that makes a whole lot of difference between being the bad guy and just achieving the win and being the good guy and actually changing the mindset. That's a real social engineer. But I want to I wanna ask you every story <laughs> or not, but we are running almost out at the time, but it has been amazing. But a tradition is we leave everybody with a warm and fuzzy feeling. So with a, with a positive message on cybersecurity, social engineering, I'll, I'll leave it to you to just close it with like a positive message. You know, uh, so uh, this is it's going to sound not positive at first, but it is. <laughs> okay. So the world right now... <laughs> is in turmoil. The world is in turmoil. Everything's getting hacked. You know, the COVID's uh, wreaking havoc across the globe. Hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Um, there's scams related to every bad thing that's happening on the planet. Now, that's the negative. Here's the positive, is we need more people in this industry. We need more men, and we need a lot more women in this industry. And it's a great time to start uh, a career in InfoSec. Because we, the, the, you know, I'm, I, I'm not old, but there's going to come a time where I want to retire and the next generation needs to step up and take my place and take the place of all the others in my shoes. And, and we need to have those young people that we can work with now to get them ready for that job when it's time. And uh, it's a lot of work and it's hard, but there's so much rewarding to it, so much reward to it. When you do this job right, you see companies stay protected. You see them, you see people's light bulbs go off, you know, that, that like cartoon light bulb yes. where they go, oh, I get it. Like that's, a, you know, that's an amazing, that's a, I, I get it now why this is so insecure. And when that happens, you go home at night and you say, oh, I did that. I helped I help that company be secure. 
you know, I, I feel warm and fuzzy. You do. You feel great. I had a company email me um, saying that after five years of phishing them, they have an 83% reduction in malware on their network. Amazing. And that is like, I can go to sleep at night feeling like a, like a winner because we did that. Me and my team, we did that. We, we affected a huge change in a company that's keeping their people secure. So the warm and fuzzy is there's a, there's a time right now, you know, and then if we, if you would allow me one more thing to just take it away Absolutely. from InfoSec for a second, the, the world is again, back to the world, it's in turmoil. And the thing that can fix it is, is learning how to be an empathetic person. And empathy is what connects us as humans. And regardless of the difference in our skin color or our religions or our belief systems or where we're from or any of that, just having empathy with other people can make such a difference in how we communicate with them and how we, how we work with them. Even people who are not good, even people who will scam us. I'm not saying that we should excuse their, their badness, but we can look at countries that are destitute and understand that maybe they feel this is the only way mm -hmm. to make a living is to steal from others. It doesn't make it right, but it can make us not hate another person for, for a reason. And that empathy does well for our hearts and our lives. And it can do an amazing difference to make, um, to make the world a different place and how we communicate with each other every day. Wow. You, you just give me goosebumps. <laughs> it's, I, I think that's the, closing of the year <laughs> it's like I, I, i never had a closing any better but i can't relate even more it's like in, in in a world like this being empathetic being nice to each one and it's cheap it's like being it's nice with another is. person yeah. it's like it's free yeah. and take it as karma it's is contagious it's like covid but in a positive way <laughs> yes a positive virus i like exactly that. <laughs> But Chris, it's been amazing. You give me goosebumps twice in the podcast. <laughs> You're such an amazing person and an amazing professional. It's been an absolute honor and I hope you continue inspiring everybody. I'm going to listen to everything that you're going to put out and I'm looking <laughs> forward you. to hear about the new book. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming, Chris. No, thank you for having me on. It was fun. And thank everybody for listening. Cheers. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Yeah.